On this episode of Southeast Iowa Today, I am at the Washington Public Library of Washington, Iowa, and my guest today is Dan Henderson. Dan is a former teacher, he's an author, and he is currently the director of Washington for Justice. And we have a quite a good conversation, and I'm bringing it to you today, and it's all brought to you by Griner Auto Body of Washington, Iowa, using state-of-the-art techniques and decades of experience to get your car back on the road after an accident. Car Doctor of Washington, Iowa. No matter who Frankensteined it, they can fix and clean and customize it. McDonald Boneyard of Kyoto, Iowa, for all of your farm equipment and auto recycling needs. Henshaw Trailer Sales of Richland, Iowa. You need a trailer, they've got your trailer, and they fix what they sell and don't in their full-time repair shop. Girling Repair of Winfield, Iowa. If your mower is dead, call Fred, your Husqvarna and Aaron's and Gravely dealer, and he also sells Husqvarna snowblowers, and he fixes all makes and models of snowblowers, too. So give Fred a call. B&B Propane and the family of Jet Stops present Southeast Iowa Today. I'm John Bain, author of Christie's Journey, The Beat Goes On, and your host. Let's get right to it. Dan, welcome back to Southeast Iowa today. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks. Well, you are, you're quite welcome. You are now the director of Washington for Justice. And before we got started, I said, one of the things I wanted to ask is, what does the name Washington for Justice mean? Well, that's a good question. And it's actually a good place to start, I think. Our, our mission statement um, and we're working on our mission statement, I have it right here, is, is to, uh, we're a nonpartisan group, so we're not politically aligned. We're, we're open to any people who have a common interest in seeking social, economic justice for particularly marginalized people, okay. but, but looking for a way to create a community, and part of our mission is creating a community that's welcoming and inclusive and diverse, because those are all good things that make communities a better place. So that's kind of what we're about. Isn't yeah. that what makes the United States the United States? That's exactly. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're not all the same, and, and there's ethnicities and different mm -hmm. racial groups and, and, and even and religions and so on. Right. And, and, you know, the, the, the more we learn how that all can mesh together. You know, the one common element among all of that is we're all human beings. Definitely. And so for me, expressing or, or emphasizing our common humanity, and that common humanity means, you know what, everybody should really kind of be treated the same. <laughs> and there really shouldn't be any, any preferences or, um, you know, uh, privileges, another way to put it. Now, I've got a question for you. Yeah, sure. One of the things that you first said is marginalized people. Can you give me an example of what you mean by that term? Well, historically, okay. historically, marginalized people in the United States have always been black communities, indigenous communities, uh, Hispanic. Here in Washington, that's probably the largest group is our Hispanic community. Uh, marginalized in the sense that they aren't always included if you know in terms of um, governance or positions of of uh, influence or having a voice just having a voice so that their needs okay. can be recognized and dealt with because marginal communities probably have very different needs maybe or mm -hmm. or issues than say what the majority white community would would mm -hmm. would be thinking about. So we're here to provide a voice okay. uh, and advocate. In fact, part we have in our work with Washington for Justice, we kind of divide it into three buckets. Okay. <laughs> One of them is advocacy. So advocate for those people who are marginalized or who are not recognized, who aren't given always the same fair shake. Educate because a lot, a lot of people, particularly in the white community, white majority, just simply aren't aware. We're not going around calling anybody bad people because they're white. That's right. not, and that's not the point. Point is, you may not be aware of what some of those issues are and what some of the policies are. Mm 
that affect those communities. And white people typically have the power. So okay. if we're going to change things, then a lot of white people need to understand what, what they can do to help. So when you go out and um, let's say you're talking to someone from the Hispanic community, um, do you reach out to them as far as um, special email posts, special postings in yeah. neighborhoods and things? How do you say, hey, we're here to help you? Okay. Or how do you say, hey, do you have an issue that you need help with? Well, that's that, that's the obvious thing to do is just say, hey, mm-hmm. how can we be of help to you in your goals? And, and then how, and who do you who do you reach out so to? There's there's an organization in Washington called Latinos for Washington. Okay, and we work very very care, uh, closely with them, and we've had some common projects. So, I for see. instance, we we've the last three years we've we've done a food giveaway holiday at the holiday time. Okay. Well, it turns out that a lot of the families in Washington who will take advantage of that are Hispanic families. There is food insecurity. You and I probably don't even think about it. It's mm-hmm. another one of those things that we take for granted, mm-hmm. and it's easy to do. But there are a lot of people that, that scrape and scratch from week to week to find enough to eat right here in Washington. Right. So we've worked with Washington uh, Latinos for Washington to, to provide a food giveaway. This last year was our biggest. We gave away 100 boxes of food wow. uh, here, right here in town. Uh, the other thing we, we do is we work with that organization on their Hispanic Heritage Festival, which is, I think this year it's going to be in August, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. So we will we will uh, work with them. They put on a festival over here at Central Park. It's a, it's a wonderful time. I've actually been to it before. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It is. But it highlights Hispanic culture mm-hmm. and food. And all of the values and the music and the music yeah. is just terrific. Yeah. Uh, so I encourage, you know, white residents of Washington go to that mm-hmm. and and experience it because anytime we can experience something multicultural, it benefits everybody. Definitely. Yeah. So the other thing we're going to do this year, this will be new uh, this year in September. It actually is the National Hispanic Heritage Month. Okay. We are going to have a film screening right here at the library uh, of a film, and I forget the name of the film right now, but I've got it somewhere. Here okay. it is. Here it is. Oops. <laughs> Let that go. Yeah. It's called uh, Harvest of Empire. It's a it's a documentary. Okay. And it's about the experience of refugees leaving Central America and making their way here. Oh and wow! Of course, that's a big issue politically. It is. But what what a lot of people forget in the politics of it is it really is about real human beings who have left everything their whole lives and have taken a very, very dangerous trip (laughs) to try to get here. Yeah. And so it's... And and one of the things that you can say about here is that you don't hear H-E-A-R... Many people trying to get to other countries than here, and there is a reason for that. Yeah, because because sure. sure. this is uh, this is a, a experiment that has been going on for two hundred forty seven, two hundred forty eight years as a country. Yeah. That in the grand course of things, in scheme of things, if you compare other countries in their progress and their inclusion and everything else. Uh, this country's winning on that front. Yeah, in terms of, of being a... I mean, we've always been a, sort of a beacon of hope for people exactly. throughout the world. And you and I even come from immigrant families. At definitely, some point. definitely. Just ask the indigenous folks about Oh, that. yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. They'll tell you who the, who the immigrants are. Yes. But, but anyway, we will highlight in September uh, Hispanic Heritage bring in a speaker probably to, to talk about that issue, that very issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and it again, it won't be so much political as it will be about learning mm-hmm. and about understanding and having a multicultural experience sure. for people. Which, frankly, in Washington, it's, it's a highly, and I'm going to share a statistic with you, because in the last census, 
Washington has now dipped below 90% white for the first time in its history. Okay. It's becoming more diverse. And a lot of people may not know that or recognize it or see it because you walk down the street, most people are you know, still white, 90, 89%. You <laughs> okay. know. But the Hispanic population here is growing. The black population here is growing. We're up to, I believe, 4.6%. In Iowa, it's 4.4%. We're actually above the Iowa average now for black residents. Now, do you find why would, why would those people want to live in Washington? That's the perfect question to ask. Mm -hmm. um, let me, let me kind of roll this forward in time a little bit for you. Okay. Because by the year, these are some estimates from sociologists and people that study demographics, sure. you know. They mm -hmm. love numbers. Right. But, but the estimate is that by about the year 2040, I don't know if I'll still be around. I hope I am. I hope you are. Yeah, I hope I, I am so too. I <laughs> we, we may be. Yeah. But by that point, 2040, 2045 maybe, the United States will for the first time in its history not be a white majority country. Okay. People of color, people of other, quote, ethnicities other than white European mm -hmm. will be in the majority. And I think a lot of people feel, they, they see that trend, they see the increasing diversity, they're not always comfortable with it, particularly white in the white community. But I think what we're doing is hopefully helping prepare folks in this community and whoever else around for that eventuality. We are, white people are simply not always <coughs> going to be the majority in huh. this country. Well, and it, they don't have to be if you're a constitutionalist yeah. and you believe in our constitution, your skin color should not matter. Shouldn't, shouldn't. And, and the reality is it's, it's still a problem for a lot mm -hmm. of people. But the political part of it isn't so as much an issue that I'm focused on as mm -hmm. it is, how do we create a community here that's welcoming Mm -hmm. to those folks. Because I can tell you one thing, John, Washington, Iowa will not grow with more white people. Okay. <laughs> They're not coming here. People who are coming here are black, Hispanic, Asian. The Asian population is the second largest in Washington now. Um, we have, so if we're going to grow, and actually Washington has grown in the last, I think between the census you know, mm -hmm. uh, 2010, 2020. But that growth has not been white people. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got to deal with that. So, so what do you think is the reason that the other ethnicities, the other folks that uh, come are attracted to Washington? Well, it's, it's always about jobs. Okay. You know, so you've got jobs over in Columbus, you've got jobs right here, you've got a lot of them, interestingly, there are a lot of Hispanic-owned businesses that are propping up. Yes. Just terrific uh, Asian-owned businesses. Mm -hmm. We've got several restaurants, yeah. so, um, grocery so store. That, that's the thing about immigrants or migrants that white people need to understand. They are some of the greatest job creators, mm -hmm. business starters, if you will, anywhere. They're entrepreneurs. They're entrepreneurs. And they will help the economy, not hurt the right. economy. So basically, for any drawbacks that we may have, there are a lot of positives that are bringing oh, these people here. Absolutely. I mean, they're like, this is a place where I can grow my my family, my business, myself, enrich my, and have a great life. Well, if you, if you compare that, and, and it's all true, mm -hmm. to life in Central America, Right, where they're they're in the midst of drug wars and and civil wars and violence and governments that don't work. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a reason they're coming here. Exactly, and it's the same reason that our our ancestors came here. Right. So, we I think we need to think about that issue not not as a threat to us, mm -hmm. but how do we incorporate new people? Right. The way that our ancestors were. Uh, the, the, the word that's often used is assimilated, and I'm not sure I like that word, but that's the same idea. How do we learn the language, learn the values of mm -hmm. American constitutionalism, learn the history of the United States, the true history, mm -hmm. <laughs> all of it. Yeah. Some of it's great, some of it's not so right. great. 
it's a good, the bad, and the ugly sometimes. Right. But we need to find a way to help incorporate. That's that's maybe a little bit better word. Well, I've got a question. Being a white guy, 57 years old, um, born in 1966. Yeah. Um, I think that was the summer of love, but my parents, my parents were not hippies. There were several of them. Yeah, there you go. I lived through that. There you go. But, you know, so for me, I was a kid growing up in the 1970s. Yeah. I went to an elementary school in Davenport, Iowa, Washington Elementary, Mm -hmm. and um, it was in central Davenport. Just got tore down this past May. Yeah, a lot of those old schools Yeah, but I have to tell you that it was a rainbow coalition of of uh of people we were all different skin colors Mm -hmm. and we all were friends and we all got along we didn't worry about skin color because we were all first graders we were all second graders we were all third graders and we were all standing up every day and saying the pledge of allegiance Mm -hmm. we were all going to lunch together sitting on next to each other at the same tables and so for me uh, and I'm not, I mean, I'm sure I've got prejudice, prejudices, but I also have black friends that have prejudices. And, but it's kind of like you just kind of get over them or you, you, you move on and you work together. Yeah. Um, how I, I guess, you know, growing up in the 70s, graduating in the 1980s, I mean, it was a situation where, you know, we, we all treat each other the same. I don't know if that's was just I lived an idyllic childhood or if I'm just looking through rose-colored well, glasses. But my point is, how come we're not that way now? Well, your, your experience probably is unique in Iowa because most, most communities in Iowa are not um, well-integrated. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in, in Council Bluffs, the opposite end. The other coast. <laughs> right, right. Uh, a little bit earlier than you, John, okay. in the 60s. Okay. Uh, there were virtually, uh, I think, maybe one black kid at my high school, mm-hmm. you know, the whole time. None in my elementary school. So there was segregation still. It isn't that there weren't black people in Council Bluffs. There were. Right. But, but there's a couple of things that have happened historically that have made it more difficult for people of color. Redlining is one of them. And Davenport would be a place where uh, redlining took place. It took place in Waterloo, Des Moines, Council Bluffs. Explain redlining. Redlining is this. Back in the 1920s, African-American people from the South in huge numbers came north. They were escaping Jim Crow prejudice and violence. I mean, it was awful. They came, and when they came north, they usually went to cities because that's where the jobs were. You go to Detroit, you go to Chicago. Well, a lot of them came to some of the Iowa cities. Waterloo is probably the biggest one. Okay. But what happened is when black families began to move in, the white white residents were not happy about it. Okay. Because they were afraid of many things. Fear is a big part of this. Sure. But one of them it's was ignorance. property well, and ignorance, mm-hmm. and it, it, one of them was property values. So what what they ended up doing is take a map of the city, took a red marker, and they marked out the neighborhoods where where black people were moving, and they said those neighborhoods will not get investment from the banks. Wow! And they're not going to get mortgages. So let me tell you what the, what the result of that is, because I've got some statistics that might sure. might surprise you, John. Okay. I love Iowa. Mm-hmm. You and I are both Iowans. Right. But let me tell you where Iowa ranks in the nation in terms of uh, racial disparities. Okay. We are the third worst. Wow. Here's why. Let me give you one statistic. Home ownership. Home ownership is... of white people own their home in Iowa. You know what it is for black residents? I don't. 24.4%. Now, the question is why? Why is it that way? It's the third worst in the country. There are 47 states that are better better than Iowa. And by the way, guess who number one and two are? Number one is the worst one is Wisconsin. The second worst is Minnesota. 
Okay. Iowa's the third word. It's not the southern states, the old south, the old confederacy. Right. Things are actually, and there's a reason for that. A lot of that is because of population. Mm -hmm. There's more black people there, and they vote. Okay. They can fix some. As they should. As they should. Yeah. Um, but when you're out, when, when, when you're redlining neighborhoods and saying we can't give mortgages out in these areas, how do people, right. how do white people accumulate wealth? It's through home ownership. Exactly. Primarily. Yeah. 24%. It used to be part of the American dream. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, poverty rate in Iowa. I'll give you the white one. 10%. 10% of Iowans are kind of at that poverty level. Black community is 32%. Wow. Again, you have to ask the question, why? Mm -hmm. So my, my point in that is if we're going to improve situations, we've got to think about those kinds of policy issues. How do you change decades of redlining right. and the lack of wealth accumulation? How do we fix that? How do we fix that poverty rate? If you look at uh, income disparities. Uh, median household income for an Iowan is $62,000. The median income for a black family is half that, $32,000. And we should say an Iowan black family. An, an Iowan black, yeah. Mm -hmm. So the disparities are just, I mean, they're huge. Wow. And we don't see it much because black blacks only make up 4.4% of the population and they're still segregated for the most part. You go to Waterloo, Waterloo is one of the most segregated cities in the United States. The neighborhoods that were, they originally came for the food, uh, back in those days it was uh, meatpacking and I mean there, were, there sure. was a lot of jobs in Waterloo. Mm -hmm. Black families migrated there for the jobs and they got jobs but they got segregated at the same time. Right. So the other problem that comes from that is segregated neighborhoods who don't have a large tax base, guess what their schools are like? They're subpar, right. they're not very good. The, so the second track to wealth accumulation is education. So you own your home, get a good education. That's the American dream that you and I grew up with. Now I've got, I, this is in the news now, I saw a gentleman on on the news the other day from Chicago, sure, African American man, mm -hmm. and he was upset because the elementary school in his neighborhood had been closed down due to lack of funds, and the kids from that neighborhood no longer had that school in their neighborhood to go to, yeah. and they're and this is in Chicago, sure, and Chicago is a sanctuary city, and a bunch of. Uh, Immigrant, illegal immigrants have been brought in to that community, and the city put them in that school. And the <coughs> gentleman's upset because they have money to take care of someone from a different country, but they don't have the money to educate the children. Well, I, I, I don't know the details of that yeah. case. My guess is that money's probably coming from somewhere else. Exactly. That's, white, then that's the problem, it, you know. <laughs> here, here's what happens in Cedar Rapids. Okay. If they tear down, or the Quad Cities. Uh -huh. If they tore down your your building, you know what I bet they did? I bet they built a brand spanking new elementary somewhere in that area. They do that in Cedar Rapids. Mm -hmm. Now, if the tax base isn't there because of low incomes and redlining, people that don't own their homes, right. they're not going to rebuild the schools. Right. And so... There are a lot of economic issues. That's what I mean when, when we mm -hmm. talk about disparities and, and inequities. Mm -hmm. Now, Washington is fortunate because I think, and you go back to the question, why would uh, people of color come here? Mm -hmm. I think it's because you're not going to get redlined here. Not if we can help it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to have a good school to go to. We have good schools here. So, and you're not going to be segregated, and you're going to be able to find a job. You're going to be able to go on for education. Those are, and that's the way it should be for that's everyone. The way it should be. It's, yeah. it's, but it, but it's harder it, it, because there are structural issues that they mm -hmm. go back a long time. I mean, a, a lot of this is historic, and and I'll, yeah. I'll confess to you, I'm a history 
former history teacher, so I've taught this stuff for right. many, many years. I, I, I hopefully and know t- what tell I'm us, talking tell, about. I, I think you told us in uh, the previous podcast, but tell us that when you were on, tell us where you taught. Oh, uh, I started out in Omaha. Okay. I taught in Omaha at an 80% black high school Okay. on the north side. It was a red line neighborhood. It was the poorest high school in Omaha. And um, what did they? A, what did the students think of having a white man as their instructor? Well, I don't think they cared about that. But the curriculum was not anything that was helpful to them. I taught world history. Okay. And in those days, this is this long time ago. Okay. John, <laughs> okay. In those <laughs> days, world history was teaching about European white guys. Okay. Okay. To a whole bunch of black students who don't have much hope. I mean, in the neighborhood they were in. I right. drove through it every day to get to the high school. It was, it was depressing because of the poverty. Sure. Um, what good? I mean, it was important to learn. I get that. I taught it. But it, didn't, it wasn't real relevant mm-hmm. for what these kids were thinking about on a daily basis. So, Well, I think every child wants to see someone that looks like them as a role model, a successful role model. Yeah. Yeah. So now the good news is, this is long after I left Omaha, but they turned that school into a magnet school for STEM. If you know what STEM is, it's Mm -hmm. science, technology, and a couple other things, math and uh, engineering. Engineering, that's it, yeah. And... It's now much more in a And then there's STEAM now, too. I think yeah, arts there's is... STEAM. Yeah. They throw the arts in there, yeah. which is great. Um, so it's it's much... It's got more funding, more integrated. Mm-hmm. It's a good place to be. And black kids that come from that neighborhood can probably find a program there that will give them some hope. Maybe it's a trade. Maybe it's engineering. Right. Things that, man... The American dream is about dreaming. What can I become? Exactly. And and if and if you don't have the options in front of you or people like you that are your teachers, mm-hmm. you, you think, well, there's not much hope. But that's the good news is I think that's changing. Now, that's and, and I know we like to keep politics out of it, but politics is in everything. And it seems like whenever someone from another other than white is being becoming successful the people that don't agree with them politically give them names like uncle toms and yeah. things like that yeah. and where how do we get that kind of stuff to stop too well that's interesting because uh that's kind of the subject of the new book i've got okay that i've just written I love segues. It, it was it was actually a good segue, John. Good. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, the name of the book is The Spiritual Journey to Anti-Racism, A Travel Guide for White People. That's the sub. Okay. Subject. If you think about it, so I'm going to give you the premise of the book because I think it goes to your question. Okay. Um, the premise of the book is that you and I, and I'll use you and me as examples because mm-hmm. we're probably classic Classic two white guys raised in Iowa, yeah. and we have a certain mentality and mindset. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna suggest to you that you and I were raised with a socialization script, okay. and that socialization script is called white supremacy. Now, hmm. what I don't mean by that is that you and I went out and wore white hoods and right. terrorized black people. That's not what I mean. White supremacy is simply the attitude or belief that white skin is to be valued more than brown or black skin or other people because it was all around us. Mm -hmm. The schools taught us that. All the heroes were white in history. Um, All the television shows were white people until we got the Cosby show. Well, (laughs) I remember Sanford and Son, Chico and the Man. That was before Cosby. Yeah. So, so, but by and large, what the Jefferson's, culture, what, yeah, what, what the culture, but Jefferson's represented a change, right? Which had not been before. So, mm-hmm. so my, my suggestion is that we're no one sits down with you and me when we were growing up and says, now, John, you're white, 
So that means you have, you get to go to the front of the line and you get the privileges. No one's going to redline you. You're going to get mortgages. You're going to get the first jobs when they come. No one says that to you, but that's how the system works. So it's inbred in our minds that that's there. And we don't recognize it because white supremacy doesn't want to be spotted. It doesn't want to have light on it. So in the book, my goal is to help white people mainly realize that they've been given a script in their head. They didn't ask for it. You and I didn't ask to be white supremacists. I didn't want to look at it now. I didn't ask for that script. <laughs> no one asked me about it. It was just the way it was. Yeah. So how do we recognize it, deal with it? And I want to suggest it's a spiritual journey. It's not a political thing, John. Mm -hmm. It's you and me coming to terms with that script and then deliberately setting out, how do I rewrite that script and get it out of my head? Mm -hmm. That's a spiritual thing, John. Mm -hmm. And it has to do with really connecting and, and I have some suggestions in the book on how I've done that. It's through black history. Black history is a terrific way to develop empathy. Mm -hmm. So it's about developing empathy and compassion. It's not about politics. It's about what kind of human being am I? And can I connect with people who are of different skin color? So, you know. Now, you grew up in a, a more integrated neighborhood than I did. Yeah. I say my sixth grade... Uh teacher, homeroom teacher, was Mr. Dixon. Mr. Dixon is, a, is an African-American Terrific. Man. That's great. And, and one of the first persons that I learned anything about when it came to black history was I got to learn about Thurgood Marshall. Oh, yeah. You know, terrific. Terrific Supreme story. Court. Yeah. 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 So uh, most people don't have, in Iowa at least, don't mm -hmm. have that opportunity. I mean, we weren't raised. I didn't. And when you think about our life, if you're living in a small town in Iowa, you know, moved away from the Quad Cities and small mm -hmm. town, probably didn't rub shoulders too much with people of different races and backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Most people in Iowa don't. It's nobody's fault. It's just mm -hmm. the demographic, you know. So at one point for me, it was about my experience in the Omaha school was kind of the setup for that. Man, I've got to go out and meet some black people and talk to them. And over the years, I've done that. And, and I talk to them and I just listen, mm -hmm. just listen. And you'll hear a very, very different image and story of America oh, yeah. than what you and I are used to. So that helps you develop empathy. It's not about, you know, big political issue. So if, if enough people, white people particularly, because normally, in American society, who hold, holds the reins of power? It's white people, in most cases. Not everywhere. It's changing in a good way. But but the systems that allowed redlining, the systems that allowed uh, poor schools in, in neighborhoods in Chicago, white people can change that. But I think they have to deal with the white supremacy script that they have in their heads to begin. Mm -hmm. So So the book isn't about a big political agenda. It's about how do you and I reach a place of empathy and compassion so that we can begin to see that, hey, there might be a different way to do mortgages that's a little bit more authentic and fair and truer, quite frankly, to the American values that we have. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's where I'm coming from in the book, John, and helping us become anti-racist. What is an anti-racist? Well, in the book, I identify four types of white people okay. in relation to racial issues. One are the the bigots and the, the racists. Mm -hmm. Now, those are the people who know their know that they have white supremacy and they like it, mm -hmm. <laughs> and they'll go out and put white hoods on, or they'll mm -hmm. you know nasty people. Right. Right? We don't want to be like that. Mm -hmm. But then you have a group of people who are called deniers. Okay. They, oh, Racism is a thing, it's not an issue. You're, you're making a big thing out of nothing. The third group are the non-racists. So the deniers simply say, oh, it's not an issue. It used to exist, it doesn't exist anymore, right? Then you have the, the non-racists. These are really good people who say, I'm not a racist. 
I love black people. I know some black people. I don't. I, I'm colorblind. Mm -hmm. I don't see color. Yeah, you do. But they say that, okay? Mm -hmm. And then there are, so they're not going to take action to resolve issues around racism because they personally don't feel any responsibility for it. Mm -hmm. They're non-racists, so they don't take action. So the difference is, how do we move people into becoming anti-racist? Now, anti-racist is simply moving from non-racism into action. All right, let's take action. I understand now. I've dealt with the white supremacist script, and I've developed empathy and compassion. Now I'm ready to move and start taking action. So that's, that's really the difference that I see, is, is getting enough white people to realize it is an issue, that there is a white script in our heads we got to deal with spiritually. And by the way, when I say spiritually, I don't mean religion. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about... You may not like this, John, but <laughs> the statistics are that religious people have more of a racist bent than non-religious people. It's just a fact. <laughs> so... I'm not suggesting to, you go to a church and become anti-racist. That might not happen. Right, right. <laughs> Could, but might not. <laughs> so spiritual, I mean getting in contact with your inner self, where that white supremacy lives, having connections with people of color, Hispanic, black, and understanding their stories. If you understand their story and look at it through their eyes, you can't help but be empathetic. Mm -hmm and realize, oh man, I've had this privilege all my life. I didn't realize. Right. You know, admitting those things <clears throat> doesn't make a, a white person a bad person. So, uh, national sovereignty, having uh, to make a nation sovereign, you have borders. <coughs> we have laws in place where people come into the country Legally or illegally. Mm -hmm. Recently, we have a lot more people that come in illegally. Does that contribute to racism or does that contribute to people just saying, I don't like it when people break our laws? Well, I think there's a whole bunch of different issues. I don't think it contributes to the racism. The racism is already there. Okay. Otherwise, because if they were good white Europeans coming across that border, John, I can tell you right now there wouldn't be an issue. Okay? These are not good white Europeans. You mean illegally? I mean, illegally any, in any Because there would be an issue for me. Well, I'd, that's, I'd say that's that, fine. I'd say that's just wrong. Okay. But for a lot of people, it's because they're not white. They're not Protestant. They may not even be Christian. They may have – they may – be whatever I don't know, mm -hmm. but but that's that's part of the issue. Mm -hmm. So I agree the laws are important. We need to have security and control of the border. But but back to the issue we talked about the net benefit. Let, let, let me throw out a couple more statistics okay. and come back to that. All right. Right now in the United States the birth rate is 1.7 kids per family per woman. Okay populations cannot sustain, they don't replace themselves until you get to 2.1. Right. Which is why people in my generation, I don't know if you identify with my generation or not, <laughs> I'm an old guy, but the baby boomers are dying out. There's not enough kids, white kids particularly, to replace them. It's not going to happen. So It's why Washington is growing, but it's not coming from white people. So in a way, in that scenario, does that help what we would call the problem, for a lack of a better word for it, of white supremacy? Yeah, I think because I think a lot of a lot of white people are sensing they kind of, I mean, all you have to do is look, particularly in a city, and you see that mm -hmm. people, non-white people, are much more uh, plentiful. Now than than mm -hmm. what they used to be. When I was growing up, the country was eighty nine percent white. John, mm -hmm. today it's sixty three, sixty two percent white. And by as I mentioned, by twenty forty five, we're not going to be in the majority anymore. Well, so, and wouldn't part of the reason that that would change is the fact that 
maybe there's less racism and there's there's relationships with bless whoever that was. <laughs> there's relationships now where a white man may be married to a Hispanic lady or a black lady or That's a black happening. man may be married to a white lady. And yeah. that kind of has changed the dynamic in the and in, in the. Uh, sure. The, yeah, uh, the, one of the and to me growing. that would think I would think that would be working towards what Washington Justice is trying to do is having the acceptance of individuals for mm-hmm. who they are, but not their skin color. Yeah, well, the, one of the fastest growing uh, subgroups is multiracial. Mm-hmm. So from uh, multiracial families, but yet our darn government. Anytime someone fills out a sheet of paper, they want you to put your what you are in a box. Well, yeah, I, you're either I a white, you're either man. white, you're yeah. you know. They still but do that. John, what what you're talking about is we should be colorblind, right? Well, yeah, to but, a degree, but we aren't. Right, we aren't colorblind. You and I see color, mm-hmm. and if we aren't, if we don't see color then we're saying something to people of color very, very uh, detrimental. We're also doing that we to white people. White people have the power, though, John. So mm-hmm. There's a lot of white people that don't feel like they have the power. Well, go to Washington and look at you yeah. know, who's running things. So, And when we had a black president, people came unglued. But, but we had a black yeah. president for eight years. Yeah, but... Look at the backlash today. Mm-hmm. There's more. I, I would suggest to you there's but more. But it was more against his policies than his skin color. You can say that. I would, I mean. Uh, I would hope. Uh, but I, I'm, I don't think that's the case. I mm-hmm. would hope that's true. But I don't think it is. I mean, I, I just recently had uh, Ben Carson, Dr. Ben Carson, mm-hmm. on um, on my podcast and deli- delivered his whole, I have his whole speech for sure. folks to watch. Mm-hmm. And. I don't, you know, no one did not listen to him. Or the people that were there weren't listening to him because he was black. They sure. were listening to him for his ideas. Sure. And, and his experience and his accomplishments. It's the way it should be. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately, it's not the way our society works. Right. The systems that are still around. So, mm-hmm. I mean, to say that there's been no progress is probably not a fair thing to say. But are we there, John? Are we at a colorblind society? I would suggest we aren't. No, and 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 do we really ever want to be well, colorblind? Because the facts that you're true. saying, I mean, we're you're going to have a Latino uh, celebration here in September. Let's celebrate that. Yeah, and it's a good thing. Yeah, and back to the point I was making about. But why do we have to have a Miss Black America when? A, a black person can compete in a Miss America pageant. Now, for me, are pageants important in my life? No, no. <laughs> but I, I really maybe about it, maybe it's a poor example. But what I'm trying to well, say is, there are black colleges. Why are yeah, there black colleges? Exactly. You know why? Because they didn't used to not be able to That's be. Right. So, so why can't those be integrated for all races? Because. If the racist systems are still there, and I would suggest in higher education they're still there. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, black. Oh, we see that. We serve. see that with what's going on in the Middle East and what's going on with Ju- the Jewish population in higher education right now. Yeah, it's yeah. hard for people to do two things at once sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, support Israel and support the Palestinians. Can't right. do two things at once. No, <laughs> I don't know why, but they can't. So anyway. Um, Back to America's mm-hmm. statistical problem. We're losing population. What that means is the economy will crash if that population is not replenished. Well, how's the population going to be replenished? Through immigration, like it's always been in the United States. Go back mm-hmm. 200 years, it's always been immigration. So, but if I, if I recall this, you were saying the white population is going down. Don't, but aren't we, isn't the population of, of blacks, Hispanics, Asians going up? Yeah. That's why eventually so, white people will be in a minority in this country. But if they're already here and the population's going up, why do we have to have even more immigration? 
because over time, if you don't replace the numbers, we actually, in fact, this is, the world population is actually at some point, probably within the next hundred years, going to begin to contract. Okay. People just, part of that is an economic thing. Right. So as, as the world gets more prosperous, kid, what less happens? People. people have less kids. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're pretty pro- prosperous in this country. Mm-hmm. What happens? You know, I came from families that had 10, my parents, grandparents, Probably everybody had 10 kids. My, my father was the oldest of 11. That's right. Yeah. So that's not happening anymore. Right. So the population will begin to contract at some point, which means economically we won't have enough workers. We already don't have enough workers, John. We're already at 3.5% unemployment. We still don't have enough workers. Mm-hmm. We're, uh, the, the growth rate for the economy will begin to contract. It'll be a recession all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so <laughs> my point is, immigration is a net positive for the United States. Now, illegal, illegal, we gotta figure that out. Mm-hmm. Even the illegal people who are coming here, some, a lot of them are refugees, by the way, so you can call them whatever you want, but mm-hmm. refugees are different than migrants. Refugees are fleeing, what, violence, death, drugs, the whole works. So uh, if we turn our back on those kinds of people, I, I, I question whether we're true to our, to our values. Mm-hmm. But point is, we need to find a way to bring these people in, help them with education, help them with housing. And you know what? The other statistic that's important is that immigrants do not use welfare to the same degree that resident, white and people who are residents here People who are residents use welfare a lot more than immigrants. It's, it's a myth. It's a myth that people have that immigrants are, you know, soaking soaking the country. They're mm-hmm. not. They can't. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, point is, I think uh, for us, so so bring it back to the local community. So we're mm-hmm. we're here in Washington, and what's happening? We got a growing Hispanic population, growing Black population, growing Asian population. I would suggest that is a good thing because 50 years from now, Washington will not have nearly the number of white people that we have now. The majority of white people are in two nursing homes. (laughs) And thank God they're there, you know, they have a place. But white families are not having enough kids to replace the number of people who are passing away on a daily basis. It's just the numbers. Yeah. So how do we prepare for 50 years from now with a whole different population? There are gonna be a lot more Hispanic people here, a lot more black people here. And you know what, if we, if we don't create a system that gives them opportunity, they're gonna go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And you know what happens then? Washington goes from 7,000 to 5,000 to 3,000 people. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden- the, And that's happened in a lot of towns. Then all of a sudden there's no, uh... There's no grocery stores. There's yeah, no yeah, Walmart. Exactly. There's no yeah. Fairway, Hy-Vee. There's no post office when it gets to a certain level. No well, post office. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they keep them for they a long keep time. Them a long time. Yeah, but but you're right. I, I agree. So uh, and and again, if you look at the uh, businesses here in town that uh, are are owned by non-white residents, it's just it's become a really good uh, contribution to the community. Sure. So. I see that is what we need to do. If we can do it here in Washington, we can do it everywhere. Yeah. You know? yeah. So Washington for Justice is it's about justice. It's about but it's about a lot more than that. It's about how do we create a system or a place where people want to come and live mm-hmm. if they're black, if they're Hispanic. And if you don't have systems in place and a welcoming environment, then you know, it may not happen. Well, well I have to say I think, you know, forums like this, this is just one this other way to, to have a discussion and people can watch this and play it back. Sure. And it gets people thinking. Yeah. And that, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. my goal for, for this. And, and we don't have to agree on all the fine points, particularly no. the politics. Right. But the politics don't interest me as much as the personal aspect of this, mm-hmm. which is what, why I'm involved. Sure. With. Washington for justice. Yeah, and you could join even if you're. I mean, yeah. even if we disagree, we don't have to agree. Right. And how many members are there now? Oh gosh, well, 
we're just kind of getting reorganized so we have four officers okay and we're setting up a board we'll have a board coming pretty gotcha. soon but i mean our list of people i i don't know we have a facebook page we have two three hundred followers there but you okay. know how that is yeah, it yeah. doesn't mean everybody gets involved right but when we have events people come out we get a pretty good turnout so is there so if someone would like to learn more about yeah. washington for justice is besides a facebook page is there phone numbers or email addresses or such that yeah. they can let me give you an email address okay now we're working on a new website so okay. it's not ready to go yet all right so but i'll give you an email so it's simply Washington for Justice, one word, at gmail.com. Okay, and the folks that are watching this right now, they're going to see that on the screen. Oh, okay. Perfect. So I'm, I'll make sure that, it gets on the great. screen. That would be great because we, we're looking for people who, who uh, want to volunteer. It's all volunteer. Nobody gets paid. Okay. You know? So, uh, but if you want to volunteer to help make Washington a welcoming community for everyone, uh, encourage everybody that comes here. That's that's kind of what we're about. Okay. So. Well, one of the things I always do before I wrap up an interview is say, is there a question I should have asked you that I didn't that you want to make a comment on? I think it was a good conversation, John. I can't think of anything offhand. Now, when I get home, I may, <laughs> I may think of something. Well, then we'll do a part two yeah, we'll, sometime. we'll have part two. And, there you and, go. And, I, you know, when my book comes close to being released, I'd love to come back. And I want to I want to have you on. Sure. Dan Henderson. Uh, Thank Thanks, you, sir. You Appreciate it. Hope I can, you can call me a friend and I can call you a oh, friend. I do. I do Definitely. too. I do right. too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Dan, for being on Southeast Iowa today. Uh, it's been a great conversation. There's been progress over the years and there's still a lot of work to be done. And Dan, I applaud you on your efforts and thank you once again for enlightening me and our viewers to what's going on with Washington for Justice. This episode was brought to you by Griner Auto Body, Car Doctor, McDonald Boneyard, Hinshaw Trailer Sales, Girling Repair, B&B Propane, and the family of Jet Stops. I'm your host, John Bain. Stay friendly, Southeast Iowa.